Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, good to see you, uh, and uh, welcome to those uh, who are here as well as to those who are online. Let me lead us in prayer. Uh, actually, if you just make sure you've got that passage in front of you, Matthew 8, uh, verses uh, 1 to 4, let me lead us uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word, and we pray that you will speak to us now uh, as we uh, look at this passage together. Help us to see and love and come to your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, today we begin a new series uh, in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Uh, in his gospel, Matthew presents the teaching of Jesus in five blocks, uh, which correspond to the five books of the Old Testament law. And in between each block, he gives action. Uh, the first block of teaching was a Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 5 to 7. And what we're looking at in this series is the action block that comes immediately after that. Jesus is up north in Galilee. It's still in the early part of his ministry. He's already been proclaiming the kingdom and healing the sick. Great crowds have been following him before the Sermon on the Mount. And now in verse 1 of chapter 8, when Jesus comes down from the mountain where he gave the sermon, great crowds are following him again. Matthew 8 and 9 zoom in on a series of particular interactions in the midst of the many things that were going on. Matthew tells us three short miracle stories that help us see something about Jesus uh, and how to relate to him. And then there's a story about following Jesus. And then three more miracle stories, then another story about following Jesus. And then three more miracle stories, and then Jesus, of course, sends out the 12 apostles. And so in these two chapters, the Holy Spirit, through Matthew, shows us a lot about Jesus and about following him. And we're going to take this very slowly over the over this series, each little story at a time, uh, all the way until just before Palm Sunday. And I pray this will really help us to see Jesus more clearly, to love him more, and to follow him better as his 21st century disciples. Well, the first story, the one we're looking at today, is from Matthew 8, 1 to 4. And it involves a man who has leprosy. Uh, the word actually translated leprosy here is a, a, a wider term that not just uh, uh, a wider term than our modern day kind of leprosy or Hansen's disease, right? Actually, it covered all kinds of skin conditions. And having a skin condition back then is different from, back, from, from having one now, because back then it made you ceremonially unclean. Under the old covenant, God had divided everything into unclean, clean, and holy. God is holy. Everything set apart from God is holy. Uh, if you're unclean, you cannot come into contact with the holy. Various things that will make you ceremonially unclean. Actually, everyone becomes unclean at times. Uh, it's not just like morally wrong things. Whole raft of things, some of them can, can appear to be quite arbitrary to us. Anything that is ceremonially unclean, if you touch it, that makes you unclean as well. Like a dead body, or an unclean animal, or contaminated clothing, or an unclean person. You can also become unclean in other ways, by having particular bodily admissions, both for men and for ladies, or diseases that you face. And then you need to wait until whatever is causing you to be unclean is no longer an issue. Then you perform ritual washing and sometimes sacrifice, and then you're considered clean again. And when you are clean, then only you can approach the holy. It is God's way of teaching the ancient Israelites that he is holy and there are things that stop you from getting near him. It's a graphic picture of God's separation from humans, even as he dwelt among them. 
as they went about their daily living. They'll have to be careful not to become unclean, and then when they did, they will have to do the prescribed things to make themselves clean again. Because they'll be reminded day in and day out that God is holy, His presence is holy, and no unclean thing can come near. They'll also know that they can't live a life of, of, that is free from uncleanness. And so once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest will make sacrifice, not only for the people's sins, but their uncleanness, that God might continue to dwell among them. Now, under the New Covenant, this distinction between clean and unclean is done away with. Because that was a shadow, a picture, not the reality. As Jesus will go on to say in Matthew's Gospel, what really makes you unclean is what comes from the heart. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. Those are the things that keep us from God. What really separates us from God is our sin. But in the Old Testament shadow, in the picture, in the model, the uncleanness is represented by all these things. And one of those things was leprosy. Lepers were unclean. And anyone they touch becomes unclean. And so to prevent everyone from accidentally becoming unclean, they would have to be ostracized from society. The law says in Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46, that they've got to wear clothes, torn clothes, that their hair hang long. They cry out, unclean, unclean, right? so, so that people are warned not to come near. They have to live alone outside the camp. Now, in our passage today, a leper, in verse 2, comes to Jesus. He couldn't worship in the temple, but he comes to Jesus and he kneels before him in worship. He calls Jesus Lord, which could just mean sir, but was also the word you used to address God. And he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, if you're able, please make me clean. He knows Jesus is able. He doesn't say, please can you pray for me that I will be cleansed. He knows that Jesus has the authority to, to heal him. But he knows in the end that he is Lord and it's up to him. Jesus can make him clean if he wills. And what's Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus in verse 3 stretches out his hand and touches him. No clean person would have done that since this man became unclean because that would have made them unclean as well. But Jesus, the Holy One, touches him. And he says, I will be clean, or literally be cleansed is the passive word. And immediately, verse 3 says, his leprosy is cleansed. Now that's pretty amazing. Because this is what happens. When Jesus touches the unclean man, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, this man becomes clean. It's not just that he's cured, he's cleansed. So Jesus has done two things. He's dealt with the root cause of his uncleanness by healing him instantly of leprosy. But even more astoundingly, he has made him clean. This is unheard of in Old Testament law. For even when, when someone's leprosy went away, there was a whole complex of procedures in Leviticus 14 that has to be followed before someone's declared clean. The priest has to examine him outside the camp, and indeed if he's physically 
physically cured, then various sacrifices have to be offered, bathings have to be done before he's officially But Jesus cuts across that. For Jesus has authority even above that of the law. It's just if a, a small business owner writes a detailed protocol for his staff what to do in certain situations. And of course, if you're the staff, you follow lah, to the letter because that's what the boss wants. You can't change it or make exceptions to it. But if the boss turns up one day and he wants to do something different, then, well, that's, that's different, isn't it? If he comes along and says, okay, I told you to do it that way for your training, but now that I'm here, we're going to do it this way. That's up to him. He, he, it's his company. It's his protocol. He can change it when he wants. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus said, be cleansed, the man was immediately clean. At this stage, though, Jesus is not ready for this information to leak out. He's not going to go public yet about his claim to be the boss in God's world. And so he warns the man not to go around telling everyone what he's done. But there was a group of people he wants him to inform. Verse 4, it says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses command for a proof to them. Right? Even though this man's already clean, by the pronouncement of Jesus, he still has to follow the protocol. As a proof, the words actually testimony or witness to the priests and the temple authorities. They would have to declare that the man's clean, and that would have made his cleanliness official and accepted by society. And I tell you, it also would have meant they've got no excuse later on for not recognizing the authority of Jesus. This man has been made clean by Jesus. But what's that got to do with us? Well, to understand that, we need to actually go back to the Old Testament. Because we saw that, that ceremonial uncleanness under the Old Testament law was a picture, a, a vivid illustration of moral uncleanness. And that moral uncleanness was actually the reason why Israel at a, as a nation was under God's judgment. Uh, before the exile, the prophet Isaiah, speaking about ancient Israel, said, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Lamentations 1.8 says that Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. That is the reason why the Holy God punished his people by sending, him into ex sending them into exile, away from his presence, away from the promised land. And yet even that exile was a, was a picture of the bigger exile, the exile away from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden that is faced by the whole human race due to sin. Because the holy cannot tolerate the unclean. But God promised that the day will come when he will bring Israel, and indeed humankind, back into a relationship with himself. Isaiah 35 pictures this restoration as, as like a highway bringing people from exile into the presence of God. But that highway, Isaiah 35 verse 8, is called the way of holiness. And the unclean, it says, shall not pass over it. Yet Israel was unclean. And so were we. 
And we can't cleanse ourselves from sin any more than the leper could cleanse himself from the uncleanness caused by leprosy. Being obedient to the law couldn't cleanse us any more than it could cleanse a leper. The law can only say if the person is clean or unclean. It can't actually help the helpless person like the leper to become clean or like us to become clean. But what we couldn't do and the law couldn't do, God promised to do himself. God promised through the prophet Ezekiel that the day would come when he would cleanse his people. He would sprinkle clean water on them in Ezekiel 36, cleanse them from their uncleanness, wash his people clean on the inside and give them his spirit. And they'll be able to live with him again. They would be his people. He would be their God. And the cleansing of this leper is a picture, a sign, a model that points to that cleansing from sin that Jesus brings. For just as ceremonial uncleanness pointed towards the moral uncleanness that, that so affected God's people that brought them under his judgment, so this cleansing of this leper points to the cleansing of God's people from the moral filth of sin. And the one who had authority to cleanse that leper is the one who will cleanse God's people from their sins. Now at that point in time, people wouldn't have known how Jesus would do that. But we who live after the cross have seen him in action. Hebrews 9.13 tells about the blood of goats and bulls. Those Old Testament sacrifices can sanctify for the purification of the flesh. As they can make you ceremonially clean. But the blood of Jesus can purify. The word there is cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For it is the blood of Jesus, his precious death in our place, that can really cleanse us. For he bore our sins, died to, to take the punishment that we deserve for them. It's his sacrifice that, that, that takes away our sin, that satisfies God the just. And can satisfy our conscience as well, that the price has been paid. And we can come before God clean, knowing our sin has been dealt with, that we are forgiven, that we are acceptable to a holy God and can enter his presence without guilt or shame because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone here on site or online who needs to come to Jesus today for cleansing. Whether or not you feel dirty, the fact is that you are dirty before a holy God. You need to be clean. Well, like that leper, come to Jesus in faith. Come to him just as you are. Don't try and clean yourself first. Bow before him in worship. Acknowledge him as Lord. Call to him for mercy. He is able and willing to cleanse you from your sins. I also wonder if there's anyone here who has come to Jesus but still feels dirty. Whose guilty conscience still makes them feel filthy before God. Well, if you're someone who has turned away from sin and bowed the knee to Jesus for cleansing, then, then be assured. His death on the cross in your place is more than enough to put away your sins. 
If you trust in Jesus, then your sins are really gone from you and borne by him. And that Jesus gives you a clean slate, a fresh start. And if the Holy God, if the Holy God is happy that you are clean, then your conscience can rightly be happy as well. Now, if we have been cleansed by Jesus, then we also need to treat each other as clean. Uh, in the book of Acts, when God wanted Peter to start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, he, he gave him a vision of the animals that were unclean under the old covenant and invited him to kill and eat. And when Peter objected, the voice from heaven said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And God wasn't just talking about the animals, but about people. And that's why we Gentiles can now be among God's people. In our context, we no longer have to worry about the divide between Jew and Gentile. But the principle remains. What God has called clean, don't you call unclean. As believers, we are never to treat other believers as if they are still unclean. That is offense against the blood of Christ that cleanses us. We can be prejudiced against people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. We could treat as unclean people who we think of a lower group than us. Or we could regard as unclean those whom we, whom we think are privileged and we are not. Both ways also wrong. We could think of people from a different race or caste or country as unclean. That's wrong. We could think of people who have been saved from different backgrounds as unclean. That's wrong. The other day, someone from, who had repented and come to Christ from an LGBT background told me they didn't feel accepted in some Christian circles. I hope, I hope that's never the case among us. Whatever our backgrounds, we have been saved by Jesus from the defilement of sin in all its forms. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul warns Christians against sinful behavior. Do not be deceived, he says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Were. That's not us anymore. That's not our identity anymore. Then he says, but you were washed. You are clean now. You've been sanctified. You're actually holy and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Friends, our old ways don't define us. If we belong to Jesus, we have repented, we have turned away from them, we have been cleaned, we should never go back. We are loved by Jesus, purchased by his blood, and by his blood we are washed clean. We must never think of ourselves or our brothers and sisters in any other way. And finally, can I remind us that this is no longer the time to say nothing about our cleansing. The cleansed leper was supposed to keep quiet, but that's not us. Because now Jesus has died for our sins and he has risen again. It is now public knowledge that he is the boss in God's world. So if you've been cleansed from sin, no need to keep quiet. In fact, don't keep quiet. Let people know about our wonderful Savior, 
who can wash them clean on the inside as well and call on them to come to him, to fall on their knees in worship and ask him to cleanse them. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And once again, Jesus will surely say, I will be clean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus, to cleanse us from our sins. Thank you that he is able to do so and that he is willing to do so. And we pray that we who have been cleansed by his blood would live in holiness of life, in love and acceptance of each other, and above all, in gratitude to you for your mercy to us in him. We ask these things in his name. Amen.